Hi, folks. How you doing? Good. On the way in at all of our services, you're handed the notes. And if you want to go ahead and get those out in just a few minutes, we will um, we'll use them to teach from. Two quick things. Uh, let, me, let me just talk to you about a restructure that uh, we want to pay attention to inside of uh, how we do what we do. Uh, our last series we were teaching was on the book of Acts. And for those of you who were around then, we got to Acts chapter 19. And Acts chapter 19 just simply begins, Paul uh, comes into a town. He meets a group of believers. And once he meets them, he just asks them the question, have you been baptized? And uh, they say yes, and he asks them into what baptism? And they say it was John's baptism, which is water baptism. And he said, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And uh, he said, well, there is, and you need it. So he laid hands on them, prayed for them. They received the Holy Spirit, and then they went with him and helped to establish churches. It was really a powerful story. We were teaching from the second part of that chapter. When I read the first part, I felt like the Holy Spirit had said to me, uh, make way to be able to do this for people, pray for people. And here was the dilemma. I don't feel like the Lord was, was, um, was doing this to, uh, to show me some act of disobedience. I think he was showing me uh, a strategy that was an unintended consequence. We deal with many people over the weekend, and in order to do that, we have slotted multiple services, especially on Sundays. But what that results in, when they're slotted and you've got one that starts at this time, it's got to end to get the next one in. Does that make sense? So that when the Lord tells you, make time to minister, if you've already slotted out that ability, uh, who should change, God or us? Yeah, exactly. So it's not as easy as just like that weekend, okay, we'll make the changes. So got with our leadership team and just uh, all of us, the heart across the board, and I, I think uh, in all parts of our churches, we want to do what God tells us to do. We, we just want to make room for that at any given time. Now, I, I'm not saying that the services need to stretch out and become an hour and a half or two hour services. That's not at all what I'm thinking. In fact, in my mind, it pretty much stays the same unless the Holy Spirit says, do ministry at this part right here. Does that make sense? We just want the opportunity to tell God yes when God asks us to do something. So that's the restructure. It'll take place. Uh, all of our campus pastors have been given permission to, when the Holy Spirit is saying to minister on something, take the time and do the ministry. Don't go, hey, we're, we're, you know, we're tied to uh, a particular time. So all of them have been given permission. Hey, you feel the Holy Spirit doing this. We want you to take time to pray for people, to to minister to people, to wait on what God wants. So that's, that's the heart behind it. I'm really excited about it. I think it just allows for uh, us to align ourselves with what God wants, and I think that that's our job. I never think that we should tell God, hey, can you align yourself with us? We need to get under what he's doing, and I think that's always an adjustment we need to be willing to make. The second thing is a personal one. Last weekend, uh, Chris and I were gone, and I, I need to brag on one of my kids real quick, okay? Because I got the mic, and I'm the pastor, and I get a... <laughs> I get to do that. My son, David, for those that, that you know, I've got uh, five children. My two youngest are twins, uh, David and Daniel. Daniel uh, works uh, at our Lakewood campus as a youth pastor. David uh, is a fifth-year senior at Butler, and he went, uh, his desire after high school was to play football at a college level, and God really gave him a great opportunity at Butler in Indianapolis to play. His senior year was last year, and right before the start of the season, he tore his knee. So imagine working for four years to get to that position, and then suddenly before the start of the season, you tear your knee. He made a very uh, bold decision. He decided to try to rehab it and see if he could redshirt and uh, delay his graduation for six months and play football. And that young man 
Uh, not only did he make it back fully in his rehabilitation, but last weekend was his first game, and Chris and I flew to uh, Indianapolis and then went to the big city of Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, and if you've never been there, thank the Lord. Uh, it <laughs> uh, it, it's something. Um, so they played Indiana State, and uh, although the results of the game weren't what we, what we wanted, um, my son started, and uh, he personally had a good game, and I'm just so proud of him, and he'll listen to this later this weekend, and I wanted to brag on him just for a minute. Uh, he just, that level of determination and that level of character to stick in when the odds are against you. I admire my son for what he did, so I just wanted to give a little, little shout out to him. Uh, right now. So thank you for, for indulging me uh, in that, and uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and teach now. Uh, if you get your notes out, uh, the name of our series is just simply Unorthodox. The last couple of weeks, as I've taught, I put it in the context talking about Daniel from the Old Testament, and I, I talked about the idea of thriving in Babylon, uh, and, and in particular, I talked about Daniel's ability to apply wisdom and using wisdom to have perspective, to know how to respond to people. Now, I, just one more time. I definitely feel the need to have to say this. I want to remind you why I'm teaching this. I don't consider myself to be a prophet. I, I don't think that that's my gift. I'm a pastor. I, I, in my mind, um, I, I think that all people, if, if you love God and the Holy Spirit lives in you, all of us have the ability to be prophetic, if that makes sense. The Holy Spirit can use us that way, but I think that being a prophet is also a gift. I mean, the Bible uses it as one of the, the a, a five-fold ministry that God gives to us. I don't think, personally, it's my gift, but I do think this, that when I was praying and studying, I felt like this word is a prophetic word for the future, meaning this, that I felt like this word helps to position God's people. If you hear what I'm teaching, it helps to position you to be able to respond at a culture at large that is rapidly changing around us. Things that, that many of us grew up with, things that you and I would have just said, hey, this is orthodox, this is the way it is, this is, this is an understood right and wrong. Suddenly that's changed. And for many of us here, I, I, the reaction that I see amongst the church, it's, there's really two major issues. People either withdraw and sort of just like, hey, that's not the America that I love or that I know or that I want to be a part of. That's not right. Or they go to the other extreme and they're just angry about it. And they want to protest and, you know, they want to curse at the darkness. That, light a candle. Don't curse at darkness. That helps nobody. Light a candle. So this prophetically, in my mind, helps to position God's people for how to respond to it. And what, what occurred to me in that was that uh, as I was just studying, praying, asking God, it was just for me. I was looking at it like that. How do I respond to what's going on? How do, you, how do you want me to teach on this? And how do I live with what? What's my response? I feel like the Lord showed me both uh, Joseph, Esther, and Daniel from the Old Testament. Looking at their lives, all three of them were thrust into uh, difficult places with government, with culture, with people who didn't love God. And yet God used them very strategically in those situations. And I felt like God said, this is not here just simply for history. It's a roadmap for people to look. Here's how you can do it and be successful, if that makes sense. So that's what I'm trying to teach on. That's where it comes from. Um, and that, that's, I, I guess, if there were anything that I want you to take away, it's the idea that this is sort of a roadmap for how to, uh, to proceed forward and not just survive, but to really thrive. So let me... Um, I guess to, to sort of go uh, this way, um, this weekend I want to talk about the power. I'm going to use uh, Daniel one more week. Uh, I'm going to move to Joseph next week. But uh, Daniel, just one more week. I want to talk about the power of courage and humility. The power of courage and humility. 
I don't know if you think much about these two words, what they mean, how they work, uh, are they necessary in life. But I felt like uh, this was one uh, of two traits uh, that Daniel really did well on in his life when he was responding to culture, when he had to serve people that were not uh, the fun people to work with, when he had to uh, sort of participate and figure out how does God want me to approach these situations. I think that, that Daniel exhibited great courage and great humility, and they're both necessary. So let me just explain this real quick and see if it makes sense. Um, I, I want to give you maybe, maybe just two thoughts here. Uh, courage and humility have to be, they, they have to be joined together to work. All right, so I, I would do it this way. Courage without humility will get somebody killed. You or somebody else. So we'll say it one more time. Courage without humility. Courage is a wonderful thing. But by itself, courage is not what God calls us to. He calls us to courage with humility. Courage without it, man, we'll just charge into something or someone will charge into us. And the response will just be bloody. It's the way that it is. Now, courage is a wonderful trait, but it should never be coupled by itself. Now humility. Humility is a wonderful trait. But humility without courage makes you spineless. Let me come over here and say that to this side. It's not per, I'm not looking at you as I say, it's just a point. Courage without humility will get somebody killed. But humility without courage just lets you get walked over. We can use humility without courage as a, well, I, I, whatever. That's not what God wants. Both things are necessary. When both things come together, that's where power is at. Now, just very quickly, when we begin to talk about the idea of humility, most people get courage. But when I say courage, you've got to get the wrong idea. A lot of people, men in particular, hear bravado. And bravado is not courage either. Courage is much deeper than some momentary act of just, I'm upset and I'll just get, I'll just, you know. It's not, it's not necessarily physical strength. It's more of an internal strength, if that makes sense. Now, humility, too, when you begin to talk about humility, people, you've got to get the idea of, of a doormat. I use some of the terminology. Humility is not a coward. It's not being spineless. It's not a person with low self-esteem. Uh, humility is not having a lack of confidence, by the way. You can be humble and be confident. <laughs> I, that's all I heard was, <clears throat> let's try that one more. You can be confident and be a humble person. Yes. I, I think it's probably false humility. If you're gifted in something, it's false humility. Ah, well, not you know, not really. It's, it's just all God. God created you. Gave you those gifts. You can rejoice in those gifts. It's courage and humility together that are powerful. The, the problem when it comes to humility, most people have the wrong idea about it. So we never see it like this is some great ambition to strive for. In fact, let me put it to you this way. I, I'm, I'm thinking about it this week. I'm, I'm so proud of my son. Uh, I, I, you know... All, all the raw, he plays football, he's graduating, he, he's just, a, but here's the thing, I, I, I'm not sure that I've ever stood up and go, I hope when he grows up, he's a, he's a humble man. I usually go, well, I hope when he grows he's successful. That makes sense. Dad's ever said that? Mom's ever said, wouldn't it, all, wouldn't you want to couple humility with whatever else they do in life? We like to be around the humble. You know who we don't like to be around? The Raiders. So let's. <laughs> oh, sure, now you get to go. Oh, that guy can preach. Uh, <laughs> Biblical humility. If I was going to sum up for you a, a, a thought, an identity, uh, maybe a picture of what true biblical humility is, 
Real biblical humility, I think when you look especially at Joseph or Esther or Daniel, I think real biblical humility uh, would be this. It's the willingness to serve even people that we dislike. Say that one more time. Real biblical humility is the willingness to serve even people that aren't easy to serve. I, I mean, what is it? If you, to serve someone that you like, that's not that hard, usually. But to serve someone you dislike, and that's a lot of times where God calls us to serve. Look, here's Daniel. going to talk about it. Here he's having to serve a king that he doesn't like. He's having to serve with peers that don't like him. And yet he puts himself in the position of seeing it, hey, God put me here. I'm not doing this just for you. I'm doing it as unto the Lord, if that makes any sense. That's an idea of biblical humility. So here's where I would go with this uh, for this weekend. Let me, let me just talk about the case for humility. A case for humility. Let me try to build one. Uh, let me show you why you want this, why it benefits you. Uh, in particular... Um, when, I, when I go to, to prepare, I always ask myself, who am I talking to? I think that's a smart question to, to ask yourself. Identify your audience. Look, a lot of times I aim what I'm teaching about at two different people. I aim it at people who don't know Christ, and I want to give them an opportunity to. And then I aim it at people who do know Christ, and I want to help them learn more about how to serve God. This message is not for people who don't know God. This is for people who love him. Is that you? Am I in the right place? So I'm talking to believers. This weekend is for believers in particular. So I want to build a case for humility for believers. And the first one is, folks, this will always be my, my, my fallback. This is why we do what we do. This is my motivation in life. Uh, if we love Jesus, and if we serve Jesus, if you call yourself a believer, what do you believe? You believe in Christ. You believe in what he's done for you. He is your Lord and he is your master and you bow your knee to Christ. Do you agree with that statement right there? Then if Christ demonstrates this is how you're to do it, that's how we do it. When we read the Bible, we don't read it to get smarter only. We read it to become obedient to what God tells us to do. Agreed? So that the case for biblical humility begins, it starts with, it's predicated on, everything comes around the idea de Jesus demonstrated biblical humility to us. And therefore, that's how we live our lives. Matthew chapter 20, 26 and 28, is some of the more famous teaching of Jesus. Whoever wants to become great among you must be willing to step on everybody else. Some of you looked up like, what, what translation was? Where do I get that one? I like, I think I like, whoever wants to become great among you must be. So, just review with me. Jesus never says or does anything that he didn't first hear or see the Father do. So he's never acting as a rogue agent or only saying things just, hey, I'm not doing it, but you. He came to demonstrate the Father's heart on the earth. That's what he does. Therefore, if we follow him, by following him, we're following God. One plus one equals two. So whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. He's not teaching some formula. He's actually summing up what he did. So if you want to be great, Become a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave or last. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, he's speaking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many people. Jesus demonstrated this is the way that a person who loves God lives their life. This is the demonstration of the Father's heart. God gave and served. 
Do you agree with that? That more than any, look at me. If you need to be tickled to get that motivation, that's an immature look at your faith. If Jesus says to do it and you love him, we do it. That's what, that's what we build it on. Now, in a second, I'll show you the benefit of it. But if you're doing it only for the benefit, man, that's like the most immature reason to serve God is the benefit. Serve him because he loves you and you love him. That's why. This is what a servant does, man. It follows what the master says. And Jesus is saying, you want to become great, be the least. Here's what I've demonstrated to you. When he washes the disciples' feet. You remember, it's the very last night on this earth in the flesh that Jesus lives. And the Bible says, um, I'll paraphrase a little bit, but Jesus, it just makes this observation. Jesus realizes that the Father has put everything under his control. I mean, just if God put everything under your control, what would you do with it? <laughs> Whatever you wanted. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty big, the Father put everything under his control. And the very first thing Jesus does, it makes that observation, and then it says this. He gets up from the table, takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around himself, kneels down and washes the disciples' feet. God puts everything under his control, and his very first response is to then serve. Not to, he could, what, what could he have done with that? God gives everything's under his control, and his first act then is to serve. God, that should be our thought. We're all, God, give me, give me, give me, do this, I want this. God bless me. Why? What would you do with it? No, think about that. What would you do with it if God gave you everything you wanted? Would you serve people? I'm not sure that I would always. If I'm on, I know everybody else is super <laughs> spiritual in a room. I would probably... Uh, Fly to all my locations. What would you do with... Did you get that? And his first demonstration is to serve. And then, so he washes the disciples' feet. And you remember Peter, who always has an opinion. <laughs> Jesus comes to him, and, and uh, Peter says, You're not going to wash my feet. I need to wash yours. And Jesus said, If you don't let me do this, you have no part with me. And then Peter's like, Oh, you're, you're, then wash all of me. Do you remember the story? It's a funny story. And Jesus goes, no, that's not needful either. And then he just makes this statement. He says, um, I've done this for you. Now I want you to turn around this and do this for everyone else. And that's the exact reason. It's the demonstration. This is what a believer does. Folks, look at me real quick. Somewhere in our Western faith, in our understanding of what it means to be a Christian in this world today, we have lost the foundation that God wants us to serve people that we don't like. I'm going to try one more time. In our Western faith, in our understanding of Christianity in America, it's more of a power demonstration than it is a humility, servant attitude of reaching out to people. And the reason I'm telling you this is the way it is, the one that Jesus demonstrated to us was not the one. He didn't come to establish that kingdom. He came to establish God's kingdom. And God's kingdom was he sought and he served what was lost. Yes or no? 
that's what we're supposed to be doing today. And as much as things aggravate us, and as much as we can look at it and go, man, that's just pure wrong, we still are called to serve and not curse. God, agree with me. Agree with me, because this is, this is at the purest essence of what it means to be a believer. It begins with being a servant, yes or no? It's what Jesus was. So I, I, well, I, I won't chase rabbits. How about this? When Jesus is going to the cross, and he finds himself in the position of the ultimate sacrifice, the Bible says that he reflects on the thought of the idea that going to that position, he could call down legions of angels to wipe out everything that's going on right then and there, and he doesn't choose to kill humanity. He chooses to serve humanity. A powerful deal. I mean, do we really get that? I'm not... The thinking towards culture, somewhere we have to understand, we have to hold on to who we are and still be able to lay down our lives. I'm not sure that that's, that Christianity, I'm not sure how popular that one is today in America. Hmm. Are you okay? Quiet? All right. If that's just a foundation, if it's a foundational truth, then let me, let, let me, I, I will, I'll throw out the benefit. Let me, let me talk about the benefit of humility. Uh, I'll just call it the path of blessing. Check this, uh, check this scripture out right here. It's Proverbs 22.4. Proverbs is the wisdom scripture. By the way, if you're a new believer, um, maybe young in your faith, maybe, maybe unestablished in that, so let me just be a pastor to you real quick. Proverbs has 31 chapters in it. And today, what's the date? So this weekend's the 12th and the 13th. So if you don't have a place like you read in the Bible, and you just like a good plan, go to Proverbs chapter 12 this weekend. Proverbs chapter 13 this weekend. Begin there. Just read those chapters. Those are wisdom chapters. Don't just read it like, okay, that's neat. Read it and go try to do it and watch what God will do in your life. It's powerful. So these are wisdom scriptures. These are... These are things that even if you're not a believer, if you apply things that the Bible says will work, they'll actually, they're, they're universal. So this is Proverbs 22, 4. Here's, here's what the wisdom scripture says. Humility is the fear or the respect of the Lord, and here's the benefit. Its wages or what it pays you are riches, honor, and life. I'm just going to ask you, how many of you would love to be paid with riches, honor, and life? So I always do this. If you didn't raise your hand, you don't get in on it. So how many of you want riches? And some of you are like, well, can I choose riches, honor, and life? Can I order? No, all three of them come to you. Riches, honor, and life. So humility, the benefit of real humility is that it gives you wisdom how to live in the life. And it, look, it's not some magic for I'm humble and I open my trunk and there's riches. It does, that's not it. And people tend to think of the Bible is magic, and it's not magic. It's wisdom. Wisdom is that it gives us instruction in life that if we do those things, we find ourselves walking in a path of blessing. 
It's not a 24-hour. It, this becomes life to us, and we end up in these places. of You end up in the land of the living. You end up in the place of blessing. So what, what this is saying is, when you practice true biblical humility, when you're willing to serve, when you're willing to navigate, when you're willing to lay down your life for someone else, what it, does, it creates an atmosphere where you will find favor in life. And in our minds, the problem is, we think if I lay my life down, I'm actually giving up the ability to go forward. I'm going to go backwards. But the kingdom of God is a paradoxical kingdom. If you want to be the greatest, you have to be the... And you want to be first, you got to be... So if you want to live, you have to... Ow! Ouch! Ouch! It's a paradoxical kingdom. Humility is the fear of the Lord... What it will pay you in life, wages, riches, I'm sorry, the, the wages will be riches, honor. And, all right, so let me give you a definition or, 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 or a good picture. Daniel. Daniel in chapter 1, we did this a couple of weeks ago. Daniel's taken captive at 17 years old. He's brought into Babylon. Uh, he's forced to serve an administration that doesn't love God, doesn't even believe that God is, is there. They're, they're an occultic uh, practicing people, they force him into their university to learn their language, their literature. Uh, they want him to look like them, eat like them, act like them. They change his name. They, they want to erase his identity in God completely. Daniel's response to that simply was, hey, call me what you want, teach me what you want. But there's a few things I can't compromise on. Here's one. He was Jewish, he ate kosher, and he didn't want to give that up. So he determined in his heart. Here's what the Bible says. He determined not to defile himself. Look at this scripture. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and their wine. And he asked the chief official for, what's the word? Get the picture. He decides, I'm making a stand. But that didn't mean courage without humility. This is important. This is where humility brings riches, honor, and life to you. It became a strategy that he got. So Daniel resolved, he, I, I'm taking a stand. But he didn't go like, I've just got courage, kill me if you want. He'd have been, Daniel would have been chapter 1 to verse 7, over. <laughs> and that's what we would have known about Daniel. A flame out for God. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. Those things, do you see in that courage and humility, yes or no? Okay, okay, so watch this. God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. What does humility bring? Riches, honor, and life. When you practice courage with humility, God will make a way for you. It's not enough to just simply be courageous. You have to find favor to live it out in life so you can make a difference. That's, does this make sense? And so many people today are just like, just take a stand, pick up a sign, throw a rock. That's courageous without any wisdom and humility. And you've got to tack the two things together to do anything great for God in life. Do you agree? Bold statements without wisdom to apply them help no one. They're just bold statements. 
Huh. Abraham and Lot. I just, God, I, there were so many examples in my mind as I just thought, Abraham and Lot, patriarchs of our faith. The three of them. Look at you, those who know the Bible. Who are our patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham, um, Father Abraham, has a nephew named Lot. Because of God's blessing on Abraham's life, Lot lived with Abraham and his family and their flocks and all they had grew so big that the land couldn't support each other. So Abraham says to Lot, here's humility. Abraham is the, he's in charge, he's the boss. He has the right to choose whatever he wants, but he defers to his Lot, nephew, you pick the best of the land. You pick what you want and I'll take the other. And his humility allowed this. Lot looks around at the land and he takes the very best of the best, the Bible says. He picked the green places. Abraham ends up with the leftovers, but here's what God did. Because God blessed Abraham. He takes what was less and makes it more. That's what humility does for a person. And here's the, when you look at it and you're like, God, I want you to bless me. And God says, okay, we're going to use humility to do this. We look at humility and we don't see the fat of the land in it. You have to choose the correct thing and then God's blessing comes in it. Does that make sense? I'm not sure if you get what I'm, what I'm saying. Let me just quickly hit on courage. Um, I, I just made a couple statements here. We tend to keep personal contact with godless people and institutions to a minimum. I think it's just a normal rate. When you're a believer, you tend to want to associate with other people who, who believe, who love God, who serve God, who go after the things of God. And what happens is, over the long run, uh, we tend to keep personal contact with godless people and institutions to a minimum. Uh, we are far more prone naturally to isolate than we are to infiltrate, and that's exactly what God wants us to do, is to infiltrate. And how do I say this? It's a mistake to believe a friendly relationship is an endorsement of sin and values. Do you understand what I'm saying? Somehow in the church today, we've made, this, we've made a very bad mistake that if I become a friend to someone who's godless, I'm somehow endorsing their lifestyle or I'm endorsing their choices. That's, that's wrong. It's wrong. We, the, the salt is not salty unless it touches stuff that's not salty. And light is not light unless it shines in darkness. It doesn't work any other way. So Paul had this problem with the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He writes a letter to them about, about getting, don't let sin become a part of your members, your body. And they misunderstand what he's saying. He thinks they're saying, don't associate with people in the world. So he actually has to write them again a letter. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Just, just read this to you real quick. I won't, I won't take much time with it. But it's just really, it's a, 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 an interesting um, little passage uh, I, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people not meaning the people of this world who are immoral and greedy and swindlers, swindlers or idolaters in that case you would have to leave the world I'm writing you that you shouldn't associate with people who call themselves believers and do those things guy if you want to start casting those 
I'm going to make a judgment, not hang out with godless people, only godly. We need to judge inside the house before we judge outside the house. Does that make sense? That's what we're supposed to look. Here's truth. Godless people live godless lives. That should not come shocking to us. That should not like, ah, can't believe it. That's what they do. I have become um, intentional. Here's what I, I found. I, I just found all of a sudden my life was so surrounded by just believers. And I, look, this is what I do. But I had no contact with people who didn't know God. And I, I thought, I, if I'm gonna, I've got to become intentional about this. So I've started playing golf with some guys who don't love God. And let me tell you, they can be godless, but if you add bad golf to it, they're really godless. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> it'll make you say things, it'll make a believer say things that you didn't think you'd say. It's, it's, and I just intentionally have decided I'm going to cultivate this relationship, and I'm not doing it to use them to get to a place in particular. I'm using it to give an opportunity to love somebody and just serve them and just become a friend to them. Because if I'm unwilling to do God, if we withdraw from the world, what happens to this world? And somewhere in our generation, the church has twisted itself to become us four and no more. Not intentionally, not no say it's in anybody, somehow we make it about us. And it's not what Jesus demonstrated to us. And the real problem is we forget that them was us. And maybe the best thing that could happen to church is to remember where we came from. So we remember that people need love, man. And it's not an endorsement on your part of values or sin. It's not even, you know, well, just... I, I don't want anything that says I'm, I'm approved. That's not it. It's that God's called you into that to be salt and light. How serious do we take that? How would I divide this? I would say this. If I'm raising my children, they're little, I would not send them in the world to be salt and light. When they're little, that pressure that's on them, you be their pressure. But when they get older and they start becoming adults, dude, if they can't handle, if the pressure on the inside is not greater than the pressure on the outside, you raised a failure. That's harsh, isn't it? Hear what I said. It's not an accusation. If, the pressure, if their relationship with God is not greater than the pressure, we've got a failure. I mean, if the only way to protect it is, hey, put them inside of four walls and don't let any air get to them, that's not real faith, man. I, I don't think you're hearing what I'm saying right now. Oh, man. Father, Lord, at the place that teaching just becomes repetitive and you're trying to say the same thing, think of different ways to say it I, th I think maybe there's a place where the Holy Spirit has to um, has to be able to get 
get it from someone's heart or from their head into their heart. And Lord, I, I um, folks, I, this is, it's cathartic. I'm praying, but I'm, I'm saying this so that you hear it. I, it is not my intent or my heart to be offensive as I teach that. It's not an accusation toward you or toward parenting or anything like that. The devil's really good. Every parent feels at times like a failure. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the faith on the inside of a person, at some level, that has to become, if it's real and it's genuine, if God has done that, then the pressure on the inside should be greater than the pressure on the outside, and that's where God can use a person to be salt and light. That's where we can go into the world, but not be of the world. where courage and humility can bind themselves together and make a difference. It's easy for believers to stay inside many times and not realize how, how critical and crucial it is that God's called us, listen, to be in the world but not of the world. And sometimes we think, man, if I do that, it'll get into me, it'll pull me. That's, man, your faith has to be stronger than that. The life of God in you has to be more bold than that. I would pray that God would give us such a heart for what burdens his heart. That we would understand what's being asked of us and said of us when he calls us to be servants. To serve even those that we dislike, that we disagree with, that live completely opposite of us, but to still love and to serve. How powerful of a statement is it when we can do that? It does require dying to ourselves. It's exactly what it means to be a believer. We don't live for ourselves, we live for him. The motto, I'm number one, it's not what a believer says. God, penetrate our cultural Christianity and open our eyes to true biblical servant. Father, it has to be done with the power of the Holy Spirit. No person can just simply choose it to be a work of the flesh. But God, if you do it in us, what a powerful combination to be a courageous person and to walk with humility. Father, help us to get this. We want to serve you. We want to honor you. That's our heart. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, church.